Well, welcome again. I'm Eli. It's great to be here with you guys. Um, I love that little video because it's very much how I hear people talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, The Holy Spirit seems to be this magical force that sometimes turns people's teeth to gold and sometimes makes people do strange things. And other times there's this feeling that that just kind of, you know, you're out paddling a boat or fishing and you feel the Holy Spirit. Um, We're going to take five weeks to really talk about the Holy Spirit from John's perspective. And the video we're going to show next here is kind of our what we believe about the Holy Spirit because we won't actually dive into that a lot. We'll be looking at more what Jesus said and what John said about who the Holy Spirit was. So check out this clip. The Holy Spirit. What is it? Or should the question be, who is he? Just getting to the right question reveals the reality that most of us have no clear idea who the Holy Spirit is or what he does. You can tell by the pronouns just used that the Bible reveals that the Holy Spirit is a person. He has intelligence. He has emotions. He has a will. When Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, he uses the personal pronoun to describe him, not a generic it. Jesus also declares that the Holy Spirit is the one who will come who's exactly like him. Just as Jesus Christ is God incarnate, The Holy Spirit is God's presence now intimately offered to anyone who will put their faith in Christ. Yes, the Holy Spirit is, in his very essence, God. It is God's will to be united intimately with people, and he does this through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. For example, what's that tug that happens in our hearts that makes us even think about God, wonder about him, or eventually desire him? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Why, after a person puts their faith in Christ, is there all of a sudden this new desire to like know God intimately, as well as a distaste for the things that are out of God? That's the presence of the Holy Spirit, too. He's a gift that we receive when we put our faith in Christ. And from that moment on, a believer has the indwelling presence of God with them every day of their life. Here's a few other things he does. The Holy Spirit's the one who reveals the reality of who God is. He's the one who gives spiritual power to actually trust God and follow his ways. He works to bring about change in people's lives so they can live the life that God created them to live. The Holy Spirit also leads those who receive him in their daily lives, guiding them into God's will and helping them to know when they're walking away from him. His goal is to unite every person with God. The result is we start to actually share in God's character. Things like love and joy and peace begin to rise up within us and flow out from us. And then his other goal starts to take place, which is uniting us to each other. The Holy Spirit, he's God. He is God with us, even in us. The intimate relationship with God every human was created for is now possible through his work in our lives. So get to know him. Learn to hear his voice, follow his lead, and you'll find the life that you're longing for and that you were created to live. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep, 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Thank you, Jordan. Um, Over the next five weeks, we're going to be really looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, the the part of the Godhead that, well, we'll we'll see what he does and what he's responsible for. Um, We're going to mainly look at the Holy Spirit from the book of John. John was in Jesus' first youth group and really got the heart of God. When John wrote his book, this is what he wrote about it, John 20, 31, he wrote, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. So it's out of that desire that God, or that John penned these words, um, that we would know who Jesus was, that we would come to understand this God that he knew. I, I just love, I think it's so fascinating that God, through human authors, has given us this. Um, That God, through the cultural lens of his day, has taken the time to write down his words and his story that we might know him, that we might know life. Um, And John's contribution, if you haven't read John in a while, as we go through this series, I would really encourage you to do it. It is rich. I mean, it's just full of of this heart of God and and an understanding of who God is. Um, So we're going to begin with John 3. It's a little interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, and we're going to look at how Jesus gently guided this guy into uh, really a different perspective and a new understanding for him on what God is doing around him and in him. So God, we just give you this time. God, I pray that you would speak. God, we're here because we believe that you can speak through your word, um, that you can use anything you want to communicate your heart for people. And so God, I pray that we would see the kingdom today, that eyes would be open, that our hearts would be open, God, that we would be able to see who you are. Would you do your work this morning in your name, amen. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. 
You were Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So that's the story that we're going to engage with this morning. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruling member of the, or a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now there was a Pharisee. So how would somebody start the narrative if they were writing about you? Now there was a man, now there was a climber, now there was a doctor who was there, now, now there was a mechanic in the crowd. How, what, what word, what phrase would somebody use if they were writing you into this narrative? Now there was a, whatever phrase it is, it's not as strong as this one <laughs> for this cultural period. Um, it's not as strong as this one. Now there was a Pharisee. I was introduced not too long ago um, as, this is Eli, my straight friend. He's a pastor. Um, yeah. It was an extremely insightful introduction in the room I was in, in the context of the situation. Um, but normally when my friends introduce me as a pastor, what they're really saying or hoping their friends will hear is, don't act like such a bleepity bleep like normal, because this guy has some kind of something going on with God. Um, isn't it true that our identity, who we are, determines a lot of how people see us, how we see ourselves, and how we enter a situation. Um, so we begin this passage, now there was a Pharisee. And I was going to have you guys describe to each other an uncomfortable situation that you've been in, but my wife was like, well, that might be their most uncomfortable situation, so don't have that happen. Um, so, so we won't do that, but the, the truth is we generally like to hang around people who we feel semi-comfortable with, and if we find ourselves in a different kind of position or situation, we get out of there. Now there was a Pharisee. A man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So this particular Pharisee, um, Nick, 
I bet I bet nobody called him that. He was a member of the ruling council. It's kind of like a congressman. There were 70 of them in Jerusalem. It was a pretty high position. Um, they were the people that got the Bible and read it and interpreted it and then used it to really shape the society that they were building. Uh, the, the problem with this guy, with Nicodemus, was really found in his position, his status, his past, who he was, his very identity when it came to Jesus. Um, so as I look at this guy's life and as I took this passage and began to study it and pray over it, the, what rises up um, probably first for me is that he could have asked Jesus questions any time. He'd probably sat in the courtyard and listened to this Jesus guy speak. He'd probably seen people's lives change around Jesus. He'd probably seen people give up their occupation and their livelihood and go and follow this guy. He could have even summoned Jesus to him and he could have asked him any kind of questions he wanted but he couldn't have asked the question that really burned in his soul. You see, there's something in this guy's heart that because of his reputation, his status, he'd worked too hard, he knew too much, he had too many roadblocks, he'd been in too many places, and he'd answered too many of other people's questions to really ask the question that burned in his soul, to really approach Jesus. And so John, with a wink in his eye, is sure to include that now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. You see, the night is different than the day. Throughout the Bible, especially in John's gospel, the night or the dark is vastly different than the day or the light. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So this guy that John writes about, this Pharisee, this member of the ruling Jewish council, this Nicodemus, this guy comes to Jesus at night, not because Jesus was intimidating, more likely because his questions were too deep and too personal more likely because he was too embarrassed to, to really acknowledge that he maybe wasn't in control, maybe didn't have the answers that he thought he had. So he'd observed Jesus in the day, but here he was a Pharisee. The people who study God, the people who knew God, the people who make decisions for society based on what they know about God, here he is with a question that's been haunting him and plaguing him. Here's my question to you, because I think we all have these. What's your question? Yeah, I wish I'd asked my kids before I got in here, because they'd have some really cute answers for me, I'm sure, and we could all laugh at um, my kids' answers, because they're almost always funny when you ask a kid this kind of question. What, if you could ask God anything, what would it be? What would you ask? Some of you guys would waste your question, I can already tell, and then you'd be like, ah, I wasted my question. What? Would you ask, what would it be? What's one of those deeper questions in your soul? I know I've got one. I've got one that has haunted me for years and years, even after I gave my life to Jesus. It was lurking in the dark, and I didn't see it very often, but in the, in the deepest places, on the darkest nights, sometimes there it was, this, this doubt, this question. What's your question? Something really cool here. Um, that I love about God, and John, I think, is going out of his way to reveal this to us about God. God 
is waiting in the night. God's waiting in the night. You see, it's kind of a slight to seek somebody out that's visible and available all day. It's, it's actually an offense to go find them in the middle of the night and say, hey, I have a question. I have a question that I'm too embarrassed to ask in the middle of the day. And the first great truth here is that God waits for us in whatever state we'll approach him in. This is the beauty of the cross. God waits for us in the night. The good news is God is a God who steps into our offenses. God waits to be offended and slighted and put down and hurt by us. And he waits for us to approach in the night. For questioners, for questioners to question in the unintimidating darkness, it could even be said, I think, that he pushes us into those places of dark. He pushes us into the nights that we would see the light. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, the night is different than the day. Um, Last week, I was at a high school camp, so we had a bunch of high schoolers up at Big Canyon, and on one of the nights, I gathered some students and went for a night hike, and we hiked up in the mountains, and I tried to get them to keep their lights off as long as possible, and we found a dark spot in a field and looked up at the stars, and as any of you guys know, that's like truth serum. Um, We started talking about everything. Cougars and bears routinely came up. But other things did too, like bodily functions came up often, um, and girlfriends, and boyfriends, and parents, and night, and day, and light, and dark, because there's something different about the night, isn't there? And God waits in those moments, and God waits in the night. And so Nick asked this question, and it's kind of like a confession. Um, It doesn't necessarily read like a question in our language, but he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And the two verses previous tell us that he'd been doing all kinds of signs and people were beginning to gather around and just seeing what he was doing. Jesus responds with a little bit of mystery and Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You see what he does here, even as they hide in the shadows, I, I wonder if Jesus said, hey, can you, can you see that hill over there? And Nicodemus said, no. And I wonder if Jesus said, hey, 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 what do you see over there? And Nicodemus would have said, I don't know, dark? Because Jesus goes, you know, without being born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God unfolding around you. It's as if there's this invisible world and you guys know people that have found it. You guys have seen people that have discovered it and talk about it and are consumed with it and everywhere they go, regular people see trees and towns and cars and they see God at work and God moving and creating and compiling and drawing people So it's as if if Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, like, don't you see it? And Nick then proves that it's too dark for him to actually see what Jesus says because he has no idea what he's talking about. And he asks a kind of weird and pretty dumb question, even for 2,000 years ago. He asks this, so can someone be born when they're old? 
Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. My friend Spencer recently said to me, if you read the Bible and you're not offended by it, like chances are you don't understand what it's saying to you. Um, And I feel like Nick finds himself in this position because now God has said, now Jesus has said to Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom of God and you can't enter it. You can't enter it, but, but you can't even see it unless you're born again. And he uses the Bible's teacher's own book to describe what's going on because Nicodemus would have been very familiar with his born of the spirit and born of water. That comes from the book of Ezekiel, which was a prophet to his people uh, at a time when the night was very dark for Israel, at a time when the people of God that were supposed to be a light on a hill for all people were scattered everywhere. And the prophet Ezekiel writes in the middle of this dark night and he writes this. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So here's the good news. Nicodemus is like, what do I have to do? Do I crawl back into it? And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't. Let's not even go there. It's actually not something you can do. And Nicodemus goes, but what do I do? And Jesus chose birth because mothers have very little control over when their babies are coming. Um, some women like my wife like to try to speed that thing out of there, but, but there's very little control. But babies have no control. It's a process that just happens. It's something that really God designed and just does, and Jesus uses that illustration to say, Nick, that's what you're missing. So he quotes this passage, this old passage from Ezekiel. And here's the hard part, says Jesus. Until you're born again, you can't even see it. It's a strange problem, really. Because it's as if you're in a dark room and God's got something unfolding around you. It's happening here and it's happening here and there and there and all around. And Jesus is going, but you can't see it unless you've allowed God to do something in you and been born again. When we have problems, we love to know how to fix them. And we can't fix this, you guys. We, We can't fix the state that we find ourselves in you see what God's doing in glimpses, and you see it in hints around you. 
but you can't be part of it until God actually does something first. So as we talk about the Holy Spirit, the beginning of relationships, one of the things we're focusing on today is that we believe that the Holy Spirit is the one that draws and calls and entices and whispers and speaks and blows and pushes us our entire lives from the day we are even, even before we're aware of him. And it's something that God does first. That's what John, one of the things that John really wants us to see as he goes through the whole book of John is that God is at work in our lives. God is doing these things. He is wooing us and he is calling us. And this is happening around us and we kind of say yes to it and we accept it and we become part of what God is doing. And so it leads up to this moment for Nicodemus and for us too. Um, And if you don't hear anything else this morning, please hear this, the Holy Spirit, is the person of God that chases you and seeks you and calls you relentlessly, relentlessly, gently but passionately, always pursuing, never tiring, never stopping, never quitting, never doubting, always for your good. And that's what he does. Just as a fun little side note here, that little lady, the really cute one that kicked off the service, with like two minutes of announcements. Um, that is my wife. Before she was my wife, I actually, the day I met her, I was walking in a cafeteria in college and I was holding my tray and walking along and I saw her and I literally stopped in the room. Um, it was like a movie or something because like the wind hit her hair and I was like, huh. So I stopped in the room and I set my tray down right where I was and I went from table to table and I asked everybody, who is that girl? Does anybody know that girl? And I finally got to a table where I'm like, hey, does anybody know that girl? And a girl there goes, I do, I I teach snowboarding with her at the ski area. And I was like, do you have her number? (laughs) Um, And she gave it to me. Uh, So I got her number, but I was too scared to call her when I knew she was gonna be in. So I'd call and listen to her voice. Um, I don't know if you heard her voice this morning. So, oh, you just want to listen to her voice. So I would call and listen to her answer machine, uh, which is really cute. She's from Wisconsin. She had that Wisconsin accent going. Uh, but I didn't actually meet her until I was in a class one day. And it was Old Testament or government or something. It was like a pass-fail. So I went for the tests. Um, don't tell the college kids or anybody for that matter. But I, I just went for the test. So I was, it was a test day. So I was in the back of the room. And I had just been to a wedding and I had all those little bubbles. Um, so I got bored and so I started to blow bubbles over all the it was a room just like this like full of people and I was at the top and I was blowing bubbles over all the studious people um, as they took their test and a big barrage of bubbles came by Lindsay and she turned and looked and there I am and there she is and I'm holding my little bubble stick like (laughs) Um, and so that day I actually met her because she was sitting next to another guy I knew so I was like hey it's a great opportunity so I met her and man, I just started going after that girl, but not in like a weird or creepy or, or um, yeah, you know what I mean, like clingy kind of way, because that communicates the wrong thing, and I didn't want to do that, so I knew I was on, on tenuous ground here, but I started going after her and pursuing her. Um, I did crazy things that men only do in these kind of circumstances. I bought a box, I don't even know where I got this idea, bought a box of sweetheart hearts, you know, those things you give away at Valentine's Day, dumped out the hearts and filled it with little tiny like one sentence notes about her and mailed it to her one summer while we were apart. Like who does that stuff? I don't know. (laughs) Men in love (laughs) do that stuff, I guess. Um, So I started doing these things that were, were my way of saying, I want a relationship with you. 
And I pursued her and pursued her and pursued her and it ended up with us in a cemetery, me, I'm not much of a singer, but me playing a guitar and singing a song that I wrote and then going down on one knee and holding out my hand. And it ended up with this really beautiful girl from Wisconsin with tears in her eyes and a trembly voice saying, yes, yes. And it's kind of like that with the Holy Spirit. I love that God is not a forceful God that comes and does what he wants with us, but he is a relationally invested God that pursues us at cost to himself. And so he pursues us and he holds out his hand and he goes, will you, will you see the light? Will you experience the life that is the life of all men? And it's that voice that you've heard your entire life because I absolutely believe that God has been speaking to all of us our entire lives. And he speaks and he draws and he calls. Come, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. But let me tell you, the pursuit is not enough. I pursued Lindsay. But then there came a day where I finally said, will you? And at that moment, it fell on her. Because some of you guys in this room have been in that same moment and you've said, hey, will you? And you've heard a different answer as the person in front of you said, I no, but can we be friends? And it's crazy to me that God pours his life out for us literally at cost to himself. God comes after us and he goes, will you? And again, he puts himself in the night. He puts himself on the line. He makes himself ready for the greatest offense we can offer. And he says, will you? But the light's not enough and the pursuit's not enough. So Jesus looks at this man and he says, dude, there's something wrong with your eyes. It's unfolding all around you, but you can't see it because you haven't been born again. Again, God doesn't force himself on people. He stands at your door and knocks, but he doesn't come in uninvited. And he leaves it to us and he says, what are you gonna do? Will you find life and light, and even more than merely drawing us to God, which is what the Holy Spirit does our entire lives, the Holy Spirit's also the one that starts this thing in our heart that becomes a brand new growth. And he's the one that can pour life into us and transform us in a radical way, so radical that Jesus coined it being born again. And so Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And so Jesus immediately describes what a life looks like when someone's born again. He describes it like this. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And this is a really great picture. Um, it's, it's a picture of like if you let a balloon go in a breeze, the balloon goes. It's this picture of a person and, and Jesus is saying, you know, the wind of the spirit is blowing always. But then we have the choice. We can like stand there against it our entire lives. Or we can, in a sense, pick up a sail 
and say, God, wherever you blow, that's where I'm going. And we can allow God to begin to blow on us. Um, this is finally too much for the Bible teacher. And then I sense it's too much for us too as he goes, how can this be? Hey, I wanna see how dark we can get it in here. Do we, let's just turn those lights off for, for one minute. Would you guys do that? Can we try to, yeah, it's pretty dark. So it's kind of like this, where Jesus is like, you're in a room and you think you're alone or you think things are going on and every once in a while, the Holy Spirit shines through that darkness. This is a headlamp <laughs> on my friend Jordan Lewis over here. And every once in a while, the Holy Spirit shines through that darkness and he illuminates the world around you and you get this sense that it's much, much bigger. All right, we can flip those back on, thanks. Um, so I had this experience um, when, I was, when I was probably 14-ish, it was for a birthday. My parents planned a surprise birthday party and I had an almost twin brother, um, more like that, and he's five days older than me. And so we were coming in the basement stairs and it was a room full of people, but it was dark, so we didn't know it. So much like this room here. So we're coming in the basement stairs and 14-year-old dudes only talk about three things. Um, we talked about bombs and fire a lot. Um, we talked about bodily functions a lot. And then there was that other third thing. Um, so we had uh, actually a Christian magazine with a, a singer on the front um, of the female variety. And we were talking about the third thing. And we're walking in and we're talking and we're talking and we're talking. And finally somebody goes, turn on the lights. We're going to change. And turn on the lights. And the whole room was full of like people. And we were like, oh, no. <laughs> Um, but that's what Jesus describes to this guy, and that's what he describes to us. And I'm telling you, you guys, just like me, you guys have known people that have seen that, that have seen the world come alive, that have seen the lights go on, and it's like, God is in this place where I thought it was just trees and towns and cars and people. It's actually, God is here unfolding and working and doing things. So Jesus and this guy Nicodemus, they're gonna go on to have this really lengthy conversation that will take literally a whole nother message. So we're gonna fast forward through some of that, but you guys already heard it read. He talks about the wind and what that's like and how the spirit moves us and blows us. Um, and again, the, I think the greatest picture there is just a person that's lifting up a sail um, and saying, okay, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna lay down my own agenda and I'm gonna lift up this sail and I'm gonna catch the wind of the Spirit and go. Um, they keep going and Jesus is really just trying to open this guy's eyes, again, gently, um, with a heart full of love, Jesus is opening his eyes. So then he tells this weird story about a snake on a pole. You ever read the Bible and be like, oh, I know exactly what that says. Um, yeah, no, I don't either because I actually know pretty much, yeah, no. Um, so you get to the snake on a pole story, and if you've never actually read the story in Exodus, you're probably like, what the heck is that about? Um, but if you're Nicodemus, you've grown up hearing this story over and over and over again, because it's a salvation story. It's a story of this faithful God moving on behalf of an unfaithful people, because the people of God had turned their backs on God, turned their eyes away from God, um, 
And so God actually sent snakes to, it's a living illustration of the death they were living in. And these were poisonous snakes and then they repented and God said, you know, lift a snake on a pole and all you have to do is look at it and you'll be healed. So Jesus shares this story with Nicodemus, which again, Nicodemus would have known really well. And then he goes, and that's just like what God is doing now with me. I will be lifted up and all you do is look. All you do is look at the man on the cross. All you do is look at me and you will be healed. All you do is turn and look. And again, this is too much for Nicodemus, for Nicodemus's question of what do I do? How do I fix this? Who are you? I know you're from God, but what's going on here? And so Jesus tells another story. Um, or the next thing Jesus does is he, he quotes, I guess he wasn't quoting it at the time. He coins the famous verse that we love to hold up at football games, um, John 3.16. And it's really a description of his purpose. He begins to talk about what, what he's doing here and what he's all about. And so he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. So this verse, far from being intended to be something that we pull out of the Bible and use as often as possible, this was actually the middle of this conversation. Jesus going like, hey, this is what I'm about. Don't you see it, Nicodemus? As I read this passage over and over, the sense I got more than anything else was Jesus' heart for this man. Jesus' heart for Nicodemus as he looked at this guy and loved him. Um, There's a truth here, too, that maybe some of you guys um, can relate to. I know I could. Uh, Nicodemus, it's hard for him. There's people, like in the next chapter of John, the woman at the well, where Jesus is going to speak to, and it's easy for her because she is so desperately aware of her need that she's like, I get it, I want it, I'm in. But for Nicodemus, a teacher of the Bible, a respected politician, it's hard for him. He has actual barriers that he has to cross. And you see Jesus gently leading him and guiding him, taking him where he needs to go. It's my spirit that moves. Will you believe? Will you let go? Will you be blown? Will you be born again? And Jesus comes to this passage. This is the verdict. Light. Here in the middle of the night, Nicodemus, light has come into the world, but the people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And so the conclusion of this passage brings us right back to the reality of that night. And man... Don't miss this. Don't miss this. At some point, there is a light to step into. At some point, it's not enough that the Holy Spirit has spent his entire life shining on your heart, shining on Jesus, illuminating the world around so that we would be seeing glimpses and hints of God at work. At some point, After you've heard God say, will you, over and over and over again in a hundred different ways, at some point, you have to step into the light 
yourself, you have to say yes, I will. You have to receive what God is doing and has done for you and continues to do for you. Don't miss this because God waits for us in the night, but he doesn't live there. God waits for us in the darkest, scariest places, but that's not where he lives because he is light. And at some point, we have to accept what he's doing and has done on our behalf. You know, people, I get this idea that people think God wants to mess up their lives. Um, And I always wanna laugh and say, oh no, it's more than that. He actually wants to destroy your life. Like, he's not just gonna wreck a few things. Like, God wants to come into your house and tear it apart because he wants to build something brand new, a new creation, a new birth. It's not just like being redesigned or being changed a little or becoming a nicer person. Like, no, God actually wants, you're gonna be born again. And parts of that hurt for everybody. So a couple of years later, there's a trial for Jesus and there's a bunch of elders and rulers of the day in a room and Nicodemus is in the room and he's one of them and he speaks up very timidly and it can be read that he's speaking a little bit on defense of Jesus. He kind of says, wait, shouldn't we hear what this guy has to say first? And I can picture in that room, my heart just drops because I can picture Jesus looking at Nicodemus in that moment and going, come on, man. Now is your time. Come on, man, step into the light. Accept what the Spirit has been doing in you from the day you were born. Just say yes. See, Nicodemus acknowledged Jesus in the dark of night when nobody else was around. He called him rabbi, teacher, and he went to him because he believed he was from God. But just believing that is not enough. And so I can picture Nick in that room with his hands sweating, and his breath coming shortly, and his spirit aching, and this desire in him to just say, hey, I know this guy, and if you would just listen to him, if you would just listen to his words, if you would just look at him, you'll see what I'm starting to see. And oh man, how I wish Nick had done that. But we don't see that in that passage in John 7. We, we don't see that, we see Nick, um, just being loved by Jesus. Because I tell you what, Jesus looks at him and he has no condemnation and he has love for this guy, even in that moment. Can you feel that? Has, has God done that in your soul? Has God called you? Has Jesus looked at you across the room and said, come on, come away, just step into the light, out of the darkness and into the day. So some time goes by And we see this Nicodemus guy again, and as my friend Spencer says, um, it was exactly the wrong time in Nicodemus' life for him to step out. But this is what we read in John 19. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh, aloes, about 75 pounds, and taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and in strips of linen. 
Don't you just want to cheer for this guy? Jews weren't even supposed to touch dead bodies. And here he comes with another disciple of Jesus. And again, as Spencer says, at exactly the wrong moment to identify with the king of the Jews who had just been killed. At a time when the disciples and his closer friends had turned their back and walked away and refused to acknowledge Jesus in the day, here comes our friend Nicodemus in the darkest night of Jesus' life, on a night that was black in some ways with darkness, Nicodemus steps into the light and it becomes the brightest day of his life as he identifies as a follower of Jesus. Can you picture it? Can you picture him there going, oh God, I'm late. Is it too late? Why didn't I do things a little different? Why, Why didn't I do this earlier? And God gives him the gift of new birth. And God says, welcome, my friend, be reborn, because only the Holy Spirit can bring this kind of life out of death. And so we end where we began. Now there was a Pharisee. But I think it would have started different now, because now there was a disciple. And whatever identity you walked in with today, whatever identity you've been plagued with or blessed with, or labeled with, whether you've given it to yourself or somebody else has given it to you, and the identities of your friend, know, know that Jesus wants to change that. Because Jesus doesn't just want to make your life better. He wants to kill you first so that you can be reborn (laughs) as a disciple of Jesus with new life. And I know I've said this before, but I know the Holy Spirit has been blowing gently on your soul since the day you were born. He's been calling you. He's been drawing you. He's been wooing you. He's been chasing you. He's been pursuing you. He knows your name. I love the passage in Isaiah 45.7 where God says through the prophet Isaiah, I have named you though you do not yet know me. I have called you by your name. I have equipped you, though you don't yet know me. And it's this picture that God, our entire lives, is naming us and giving us identity and creating us and equipping us and preparing us, even way before we're aware of that quiet voice. Hey, but maybe you're here today and you have heard his voice. I just wanna encourage you, don't miss the opportunity If God is saying, will you? If God's saying, it's time. Like you're over there in the dark, but you've seen pieces of the light. Will you step into the light and be born again? If your answer is yes, don't wait. Don't have more regrets. Don't have more past experiences. Don't build more status or more reputation. Don't worry about anything else. If God's calling you and your answer is yes, um, we're gonna have some people over here, the prayer team that is ready and excited to pray with you and just just say, hey, we're gonna welcome you into this thing that God is doing. Um, Yeah, it's kind of like being in a dark room and the lights just go on. So I'm gonna wrap up by taking the offering. Um, And I was reminded, I was here this morning for the pre-service prayer. People get here really early. Um, to make things happen at K2. And my first time at the pre-service prayer, I remember getting here and looking around and there were like 35 or 40 people. And this is a horrible thought. Like, don't tell anybody I thought this. But I was like, wow, do all these people take this seriously? (laughs) Um, And they do. (laughs) 
We, we all do. Like, some, like I do, right? But I was like, what about all these people? Like, I wasn't judging or anything. I was just wondering. But we do. Like, we come together early every morning and we pray and we talk about what we're going to do because we absolutely believe that God is going to use all this. We believe that we create an environment that God and his Holy Spirit can actually use to give people new life. And I get to be part of that and you get to be part of that. So as we give offering, like, I just want to worship God with that in that way. And I'm going to pray and just ask God to take what we give and use it to open people's eyes, to open hearts, and to build his kingdom. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Hey, God, thank you for being in our darkest nights, for waiting for us, for gladly taking offenses at our hands. God, thank you for calling us into the light and into life and relationship with you. And God, I do, I pray that you would bless this offering, God. We work hard for our resources and our money, God. We, we just want to gladly give it to you and ask you to bless it and use it for your kingdom in the best way that you can. God, if there's people here who just need to take your hand, who just need to say yes, God, would you continue to speak? And God, if there's people here who aren't at that moment, but there's at some other moment with you, God, would you continue to speak as I know you will because you are faithful. In your name we pray, amen. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws.